<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Happy special legislative session week. Thanks for being with us. I am Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News, Mara Carabello from the Exoro Group, and Greg Hughes, who is now... A former Speaker of the House, a citizen, and also a lobbyist. Yeah, sitting in the cheap seats out here now. Sitting in the cheap seats, just with the rest of us. So thanks for being with us. I love that it's sunny outside today. Uh, Time is flying by in this legislative session. I think they actually blanked out. We talked about last week for two uh, full weeks, so I'm very pleased that it only took a couple days. Did either of you drop in at the sessions, or did you just watch from afar? I watched from afar. I don't generally go up unless I need to and I wasn't needed. So I I may lobby but I lobby on the side of angels. Mm. So I lobby for the sheriffs and for our association of counties and even for Washington County. Bail reform was on the list. Bail reform was a big one so I had a number of issues we've been working on because we we love public safety in the state of Utah. It's kind of our thing. We like public safety and so we there was a bill that was a catch and release cashless bail nightmare that was having all kinds of problems and so we repealed it but we went into this working group and spent eight months with what we call in public policy stakeholders and those would be prosecutors and defense attorneys and uh, the sheriffs and those that are involved in the criminal justice system and we came up with a bill that was passed yesterday that was a, a working pro- a product of eight months of working together carried uh, by one of our fine democratic legislators yes boards. yes that was one of the uh, that was one of the negotiating points as well and so yes that bill was uh, represent uh, was sponsored by representative pitcher uh, from the Democrat uh, from the minority caucus in the house and it's so funny that issues had so much uh, I don't know. There's just been a lot of controversy around it. But is it, it done? It, it, Are you guys coming back for the session? Or no, I think it's everything? pretty much done. I think we're going to see. So bail is back. Be they want they everybody want. So are you pleased with the result, or are you yeah, like this well, is look, garbage? Look, let's go back. This whole cashless bail catch and release is just not working well. Public safety is is being harmed everywhere, and so you see this cashless bail in states like New York and more blue states. Somehow it passed into law in Utah. We'll have bail. We'll have a bail schedule back, and that, that will give this middle ground where you don't hold people too long uh, because you don't want to you don't want to pinky swear and release them. Uh, but for those that uh, can make bail, they will, and then they'll have a magistrate review that if they are too poor to pay, or if the risk assessment is given, the magistrate or the judge will assign an appropriate bail or. Uh, other condition, pre-trial release conditions if their county provides. This was a very nice, wonkish. This was a very good. Wonkish. I was just going to say that good tough issue because the advocates on slightly different sides, and I would I would say that the advocacy groups in this one were in a round table, not a square table. Like they sort of circular a little. I love to see and, that. And they were all um, really wonky and sort of very qualified. And coming from different points of view. So it really was, I think, a hard-fought compromise. It was eight months, and it was actually really painful for, because of the, the number of stakeholders we had around the table. So the competing opinions were just limitless. And so it, it, it took a long, long time to get there. But the funny part is, once you do something like that, if you do all that hard work up front, 
There's no debate. There's no. There's the committee hearing was nothing. The the floor debate was nothing because everybody had. Mm, sounds a lot like redistricting. I was going to say that, bank. except for <laughs> no, the same comparison to the hearty this, ten this minutes y'all gave. The, all the advocacy was. All the people were saying this is our bill, so you didn't really have a competing side saying no to the yeah, bill. I just don't think that's the criteria of floor debate, but. Well, look, they you. couldn't find anything they hated about it. Because it was it was satisfying. Look, what we did is we just said perfect can't be the enemy of good. There's plenty to hate about the bill from all sides. But if you're looking for common ground, uh, that, then this was it. So it was good. It was good in that way. Okay, I appreciate that. So is this the only bipartisan thing that came out of the legislative special session? Are we thinking the redistricting mm -hmm. maps were bipartisan? In a, you're a so funny sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you are hilarious. No, that wasn't. That. But you know what? That's a lot of studio wrestling. I'll tell you right now. Everybody getting mad. I'm telling you, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, all those guys don't have it on those lawmakers coming out of there yelling and screaming and everybody acting like it's a big deal. This is what redistricting looks like every 10 years. Everyone's like, oh, this is so terrible. Greg it's what is you explaining it's how the, the supermajority rolls people every 10 no, years it's and they're not. like, why do you all no, complain like, about the it? Democrat districts become, the Democrat <laughs> districts are Democrat and the Republican districts are Republican and there's just four seats in Congress. You cannot... You would have to gerrymander the daylights out of finding in a statewide statewide elections in Utah, the Republican won 75% of the vote. How in the world are you going to get a Democrat congressional district unless you gerrymandered it to death to have one so Democrat district? I do so want to talk about that. Let's let um, fine, Mara have a say on this for fine. a second. So Mara, well, I'm actually just giving this. I'm not even expressing an opinion. I'm just laying down facts. You're just right laying now. down yeah, facts. This is just this is just premise. Thank you. I do think that this does happen across the country, so I think we should recognize that. Uh, I think people were hoping for something different. I know that um, they were, there was hope that Spencer Cox, their governor, would come in after saying that he would be the governor of all people, that he would, you know, say, I'll veto this. We'll get to that in just a second. But the 4th Congressional District, when it was passed 10 years ago, uh, people were saying there's no way that a Democrat can ever win. We've had two Democrats there. Has it drastically changed this time, Mara, where a Democrat can't win, or are we in the same boat we were or have been the last 10 years? Well, I mean, the same same applied. So to your point, the, the same intellect applied, which was you were trying to master at a, at a congressional level the least likely path for a Democrat. And you had to do it in this instance by cutting up a county four ways. Now, what's interesting is the justification of that is, wow, you can't do anything without cutting a county. That may be true. Cutting a county at four ways at an intersection seems a little surgical. So I think to, to your point, I think that the tide that I would say would be Utah isn't a fixed red state. And so that you're seeing more and more of an attempt and you saw this in sort of the rhetoric of urban versus rural. And you heard this a lot even um, about the districting committee. I heard over and over, well, X many counties never voted for it and it was only the West that's run. Well, yeah, population bases matter when you cut mm -hmm. up things. Density matters. That's what representation is about. And so I, I, I want to, though, get philosophical about two or three things and mostly just to change so that we don't have the same conversation that I've heard all week. Some interesting things um, that I've been thinking about is one, um, it was really interesting to me that it appeared that the majority didn't really even attempt to significantly take in the the public redistricting thing. Now, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just, I'm play calling. Like there could have been some more dog and pony <laughs> show just and for so you show. you have to ask yourself why. And it's an interesting conundrum that I will own that I've been on both sides of. And one is 
gosh, where is our majority leaders that they are just like, I don't even want a dog and pony, right? It, it, I, it felt like sort of lip service. Now, one may be, I think it would be fair for them to say, gosh, whether I give you a week or six months, you're just going to come and yell at me either way, right? Like, I yeah, there no were, good there were some that were criticizing the maps before they were even drawn. I mean, right. The house and, uh, chair for the redistricting was being criticized, and he hadn't even come up with a map yet. So. Yeah, and then conversely, you see leadership not even attempting to go through much gyration of accepting. So that's on both sides about A lot of hearings, though, statewide, a lot of hearings. By the redistricting committee. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that, that was categorically ignored. From many from prop four. I'm just saying it's interesting that leadership didn't even really pretend to thoughtfully consider. I'm not actually criticizing that position. I'm saying they didn't put any political energy into it. They were honest about that, their yeah, yeah, and that Spencer um, Cox sort of very quickly was like, "Don't look at me, man. I am not vetoing." <laughs> and so he went down really quick in saying, "No, I'm just going to let this happen." And so the question is. Um, is the public being smart or our advocates being smart and productive about being effective and are legislators listening? Can I ask a question instead of making it as a point? I have a sincere question. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that the resignation of former Congressman Rob Bishop late in the process and walking away from that soured uh, things uh, undermined the credibility of the, of the commission that he resigned uh, late in the process? Did that, did that signal to some that, that this was uh, not as fair as advertised? I believe that the rationale for doing it was political. And so it's, I think. So you're cynical I about think, uh, Congressman Bishop's resignation? I, I'm not cynical. I am knowledgeable about how adroit a former representative Bishop is on politics. And so I saw that as a total political signal, and I actually saw both sides rally around it, right? One said, see, this is proof, and the other said, see, this is mm -hmm. proof. So I do think it was it started the political finery. You know, I, I will say this, that it, I, this whole narrative of we need to be above politics. Everybody has an opinion, everybody has a take. Anybody saying, telling you that they, don't have, that they have a blank slate in their head, they don't have a single political preference either way, they're here to be above politics. I don't think it's true. All because of the way we're born and raised. We have a bias inside yeah, of us. Of course. Yeah. We're all wired this way. We have to at least acknowledge it. And the best you can do is say that you're going to take competing perspectives so that you can have that debate or that dialogue to try and get to, like we just spoke about, the bail reform, right? But anybody telling me they're above politics and they're going to draw a map that doesn't have any politics in it, it's, it's, that's just false advertising and it's not real. And, I, and it makes you sound like you're high-minded and you're better than everybody else, but it's, it's not real. And that's where I get to the pageantry of redistricting. There's a lot of this that's being discussed about it being unfair and it's this and it's that. It happens every 10 years and all you have to do is go to a state where the people that elect a majority of whatever party that is in the majority, how they draw those maps, the, one, the party that's in the minority who did not gain the confidence of the electorate enough to be the majority doesn't like it. And it doesn't, it's not reserved for one party or the other. It's, I mean, in Illinois, they drew Is that a good a excuse? Of, Everybody does it, though? But, but how do you get around it? How do you get around the inherent beliefs we have and opinions that we have? So if someone says to you, I think because we only have four members of Congress, we're not like these larger states that have dozens of members of Congress, we think that every member of Congress, there being only four, mm -hmm. ought to have an urban, suburban, and rural constituency so that all those demographics will be heard or have a perspective or that their member of Congress will answer to their unique concerns. You know, our state, 80% lives along the Wasatch Front. To say if you want to include rural, 
that you're going to have to divide out and get rural components in each of those congressional districts, I can argue that that's not a that's not a stone cold Republican perspective. I think it's a straight faced, legitimate perspective that each member of Congress, being there only four, ought to have rural in their district because that's a area that's easy to forget when the numbers aren't as high to have their own congressional seat. So, you know, it's stuff like that. Those those conversations actually take place when they're looking to draw these maps. And the staff that puts it together so that the listeners know, they're nonpartisan and they truly are. You can ask any member of the legislature, Republican or Democrat, and they will tell you that the staff calls balls and strikes. They are not putting their thumb on the scale for one, the majority party or the minority party. And they are those political considerations are not part of the formal map drawing process. So, they really aren't. So a couple. Like one is I do think it's really hard to draw state house maps because mm-hmm. you're down to such a level. I think to draw four quadrants on a congressional district isn't as hard as they made it. And I don't think anyone could defend the position of dividing Mill Creek by four was like your only option. That was just stupid. And shame on well, them. No, no, shame. to move shame. out of Mill Creek. That's a big problem. The guy doesn't even live in his district. Well, we don't even care about well, that. Well, Ben McAdams didn't live in his district and either. Yeah. And Mill Creek ends up getting looked at because the guy doesn't move into the district he won. It's like it's well, his so fault. give him his own. But I'm just saying that was an unforced error on the Republican side because it's just so easy to look at it and criticize mm-hmm. it. But... Um, that aside, I mean, one of the things that I, a couple things, one thing I'll criticize, and then I want to go back to Heidi's original question. I, 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 it offends me somehow that when you use your political muscle and then your your vernacular about it is public policy. I'm like, just muscle it up, man. Like you're in. I thought I owned you're, that. No, I you. I'm not talking about you. I'm okay. talking about the people in office. Okay. And when they do this, oh, we thoughtfully considered, and I'm like, that offends me. Just tell me you're in charge. I'm not. Like I can live with that. I'm the so parent. Yeah. I said at bedtime. You don't want to be arrogant about it. Well, you are arrogant by patting me on the head and telling me that that's the only well, way you can divide milk. Uh, so the other. Thing I wouldn't I do have done think, that, by the way. I would not have drawn him into a district he didn't bother to move in. That's so just me. I'm just I want to. If I were still give, there hope to those people who want balance in Utah in starting where Heidi did, which is, will this adequately live for 10 years to keep out Democrats, right? And I would just say one thing that's very interesting, a little Venn diagram here. Forever and ever, we're all now saying we're going to double by 2050, we're going to double by 2060. So let's talk for a minute where the doubling is happening. So right now, Salt Lake County, much to the chagrin of my friends on the right, um, is predominantly reliably centrist to left of center. And that's Salt Lake County. But here's the bad news for the Republicans. Salt Lake County is not where the growth is going to happen. Utah County is going to change already. So Davis County is going to grow like crazy. Twilla County is going to grow like crazy. Mm. And Utah, South Utah County, not the point of the mountain, Mm. not Thanksgiving Point, not Draper, which I know is in Salt Lake. But that's not where it's going to grow. Welcome to Salem. Welcome to Payson. Welcome to Santa Quin. That's where the growth is going to happen. Aside and go into Nephi and Mona. So what is interesting? Needs to do. I mean, yeah. it's pretty crowded but, up but here in Salt Lake. In the yeah. next ten years, that's where the growth is going. So just take a minute to think about Greg's district and Draper fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. And Draper Harriman where it, it is was now. An agricultural district. Think about Daybreak. That was yeah. open property. Now Daybreak is one of the most highly um, producing voting districts in the state of Utah. And it's a rather moderate centrist district. It's an unreliable district for both parties, which I think is a golden district. But I'm just saying I don't know that we know 
how this at the end it could drastically change it's true I look back to being in fourth grade and my parents moved us from Kearns to West Jordan and I remember just crying because we were moving to the farm in the middle of nowhere and you look now and you're like West Jordan you know I mean middle yeah yeah and now people are living like with homes overlooking the prison you know in Draper you know it's just like in 2002 Draper my district was very conservative it's it's a pink district now Sure. It, it is yeah. not the conservative district it was when I was first elected. When you redistricted Susanna Harrison out this last year. So I have a couple more questions. Well, she's drawn into She's that drawn paper. in. She's that's gonna, that's she's what we call well. drawn out. No, we think she'll do quite well. It'll be interesting I, to I, see. I worry about that, but I think she's got some options. She's well. Didn't she win or lose by six one time in one of her races? It's, her it, it's been close, one, yeah. yeah. So I want to ask a couple questions before I move on. Uh, one thing is people voted for Prop 4. So, Greg, my question is, are people going to get sick of voting for these propositions if they feel like they vote and then the legislature unvotes? Because it vote, seems like yeah. everything's been untied every time. So in there, recent there are some issues, and it is it is problematic when you vote when the, when there's a referendum on on statute and it passes. A lot of that does require changes because if you just parachute it in the coordinating clause, there's some even technical issues with how that works. This issue, though, specifically, if you look at how it, if you, if you look at how it passed, it, it surprisingly, even to me, surprisingly, barely passed. It was not an overwhelming for, for the narrative being, let's be fair. Ronald Reagan decided that he wanted to do this in California. Let's be fair and mm-hmm. do it this way. You would have thought that would have received a large majority throughout the state, but it didn't because I think people were worried that well, that's kind of why we elect lawmakers. But for whatever reason. If you looked region by region or district by district, it did not pass. It passed largely on the weight of the voters in Salt Lake County. Is that how statewide elections work? It does. It only holds like what the distribution is. But interesting to the topic of redistricting, if you look at the constituencies and how they voted and how they would expect their lawmaker to vote, it did not have the majority of the people they represent saying, we want this redistricting to have... A, a larger say. So, so you, only you, rep- you only represented the precincts that you performed well in. You came and you, and, and no, I would complain I, I, to no, I'm, then I'm Speaker the of the House Hughes. And Speaker of the House Hughes would look I'm under getting, my precinct and say, Mara, unfortunately, not, your area didn't your perform law. well enough for me I'm to really care about can, your problems. I'm saying that there are many reasons why referendums have legislative action that happen afterwards. I'm giving you the reason why specifically this one. Because you guys felt didn't they had feel like the, say. the right kind of people voted in favor well, of it, even though the, the majority won. By region, they didn't approve Most it. people by in the state, state passed the law. I'll just go it's over. Like I'm going to use like when my Denver slow voice. Passes with you. A state, like a, a Colorado statewide initiative passes on the backs of the most liberal people in Denver. That's that's so a, we, is, we actually we don't do it that way when we qualify something for the ballot because you have to have so many signatures and so much each area from yeah. which is areas. different than how we do governor and statewide offices and I governor know, and statewide offices I, could just be like I'm just a messenger I'm just a messenger you are a manipulator so first I'm going to be that person that points out they're not referendums they're initiatives yeah I'm going to be that person and then. I'm going to say this argument is one of the stupidest ones I've heard from Republicans in a long time in which they're like the wrong kind of people voted in they're the majority. They're not on the wrong side of their constituents. The majority. Mark. They're not on the wrong the side of their The majority of Utahns wanted this independent commission to be listened the to. The majority And in the Salt majority <laughs> in the House decided that the wrong kind of people voted for the it. The majority in, the, in Salt Lake City wanted the, the constituents from the other districts, no, they Greg, were not as, asking them to do as it. As the way. Republicans have, have showed us over and I'm over just, again, look, Democrats again, 
can't win statewide. I'm like a carrier pigeon in this conversation. Not, I'm just delivering the information. I am not expressing an opinion. I'm, Before, just giving, I'm, I'm pretty laying out I the facts. I think you're doing subliminal messaging right laying now. Laying out the facts. Out. All right. Well, one thing I do think was interesting as we wrap up this conversation is the town hall or whatever you call it when the governor went live on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else. I felt like he was very honest about the process, his fact that he was going to veto. And I thought it was interesting that he just kind of was... I am what I am. I'm a Republican. This is who you elected, and here so we go. it pains me for some reason to criticize him. I kind of sort of like Spencer Cox, but here's what what, <laughs> what offended me so You say much. that like you, you think he's a Democrat. That's how you said it just now. I think a lot of Democrats were hoping he was that. more Democrat. I think they felt like maybe they were, <laughs> so he had a, a one left arm that was Democrat. Here's what really just like got me in that. His answer back, he said, and, and just be specific, at this moment in time, straight to camera, he's saying, to those of you who are frustrated, I know there's a lot of people out there frustrated. And I'm, he has me, right? I'm listening. You're listening, you're like, I'm, you're, I'm, I'm here. So I'm listening, and he says, you know what you need to do? You need to vote for better people. Okay, the irony of you telling me after gerrymandering and but having my vote taken away. Earlier in this program, no, you called for you no, called no, no, for that kind that's of That's not honesty. You said I argue that you played the table in a way that I can't win, and you're like you should get a better dealer. I'm like, what? I don't you, get to pick you, the dealer. You did not hear yourself earlier in this podcast because you said, why don't you just instead of saying it's deliberative and everything, just say we we make the rules, you don't. That's what right. I just told you. No, he didn't. He said. He said, you should elect better people. And the, the whole premise of the argument is, you're not allowing me the means to elect better people. And so you telling me it's my fault and I should elect better people is sort of egregious to those who are frustrated. So I, I would support the Speaker of the House saying, you know what, I hear you, I'm sorry, but I'm in charge, you're not. But what the governor said to me is, hey, listen, you guys should just elect better people. And I'm like, my argument is you're not allowing me to elect better people. Hey, yeah, I don't understand anything she The said one thing right I think now. was interesting, though, that he that. said yeah, is that people walked me. out after the congressional maps, and nobody likes to vote in municipal elections. Nobody wants to vote for the legislator. Like, people want to vote for the big ticket items, right. the sexy stuff. They want to vote for president or the congressional or the Senate. And what people, I think, should learn and never learn is that showing up for those little races your legislators um, and the smaller offices, that's eventually what kind of jiggers things and moves things inside sure. of your state and changes it. So Amen. so to that, um, people stick around for another four hours of meetings or I, in I, this session, another every, 20 minutes, Amen. I don't every know. Every group of young people that I would give a tour of the Capitol uh, when I was there for 16 years, I would tell these young people, because they were very disinterested, they, some adult had planned a tour of the Capitol, they were there against their will, I could read it in their eyes, Oh, but, but it's so pretty, say, even if you don't like the politics. Ma'am, I wasn't catching that. That's no. not the vibe I was okay. catching. But I would say to them, and this is where I would say, I'd say, you might not care about politics, but it's a, it's an ancient saying, but politics cares about you, okay? And I tell them, there's a lot of people up here that hope you never care because they love making the rules, and they want you to follow their rules. So they True. hope that you never care about politics. And I say that as a challenge because I want them to realize that they will live by the rules of those that do pay attention so that they, I'm almost taunting them to say, look, you need to pay attention to this because people are banking that you won't so they can go make the rules. And so to your point, Heidi, every one of these elections count and that whether it's the high profile or not, if you look at how these elections impact our lives, local control from municipality 
county and state legislature, they all truly do. So it's if you don't care, there's people that are very grateful that apathy is there, that you don't care because they want to make the rules and they don't want you to interfere with that process. So. It is true. And Utah has an apathy problem, which I hope we're digging out of, but um, definitely something to think about. Rid of that. I think everybody's getting a little more uh, salty. Mm, thanks, mm, Twitter, today. for helping us all out on that. Yeah, really. uh, well, we've talked almost our whole podcast on redistricting, so I want to move on to um, the legislature quickly passed a bill allowing exemptions to Biden's vaccine mandate. And um, they're basically the same exemptions you would get at Utah schools if you wanted to sign something so your kids weren't um, vaccinated. So it was religious, medical, or personal reasons. My question here, uh, Greg, we'll start with you on this one. No, Mara, your turn. Okay. Okay. So Mara, when the legislature passes something like this, um, does it, will it have, I guess, the foothold it needs to preempt a federal mandate that's coming from OSHA because there's always the question of federalism and who's in charge and which bill is on top of the other bill and who's really in charge. Will it work? Yeah, I mean, I think they're sorting through the, the legal standing of it, but it has questionable legal standing and it smartly or maybe arguably poorly almost addresses different sections of the code. I mean, that's what the thing that's challenging is sort of what are you responding to? Uh, OSHA's directive is more clear and harder for a state to intervene with, but hey, they went really broad and they went and they did a smart thing in which, as you suggested, they mirrored thing they had done before and that's mm-hmm. a really smart thing to do. And so from that perspective, it, it's true. I think really what they were doing though is sending a message and saying, hey, we're gonna fight for this on behalf of those who didn't fight for it. Here's so you feel like this is more of a message bill and they'll let the lawsuits that were filed by the 23 states yeah, be the lawsuit? Yeah, it'll give courage to some local businesses perhaps, but there, there is one component of it that I haven't heard anybody discuss, and so I'm just going to bring it up because I don't know the answer to it. The interesting part of the religious exemption for COVID is that most of the major religions that we follow in Utah have actually come out in favor and very most of the time when religions haven't opined upon a medical mm-hmm. thing, it is right? interesting because the like, catholic church and lds church and other states have said we won't sign her yeah. yeah and the lds church has been the most aggressive about saying please do this please do this please do this and so i'm I, this is all philosophical i don't even know but i thought oh it's so interesting and, and no one's going to fact check you at that moment but it's so interesting that you might cite a religious exemption when your religion has essentially stated a position that's much more in favor of the um, get the shot. You haven't heard the answer, so let me give it to you. Oh, great. Um, Thank you for being this here. Is a, this is probably more... I'm kind of like a cafeteria Catholic, though, but not a Catholic. And so I just pick and choose what I want from my that's religion. It. So Here's how do you know what my religion really so is? the definition is your moral objection. Because they want to be very sensitive that people not be necessarily required to affiliate with a formal faith, because maybe they don't. They didn't want that exemption to be uh, unavailable to them. So it's more of a moral uh, I think objection. it doesn't say that. It says something broader than that. But yeah, but it's, it, so but that's the key. It's broader. So it, 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 if you have a, a faith that comes out uh, in a, with a position and you are a member of that faith, mm-hmm. you can still exercise a religious exemption if it's based on your moral beliefs or whatever their definition is. There's, but there's, it is, there's it is a on religiosity. Purpose. I yeah. know that. Yeah, so 
Mara philosophical. Wants you to, like, show your your exercise a religious exemption. And Mara wants to, to question that. the conservatives. We're like the Democrats for the first way, time, the conservatives are at odds with the Mormon Church. Let's just be like it's just interesting. The liberal Mormons have often had to grapple with that position in a public position. Yeah. and this is philosophical. It's not mm-hmm. legal. Yeah. and and you know I'm a, I, as Catholic. I you're, you're, you I, want everyone I to can, show their cards. Are they, are they a, a oh, member of good faith? We're, I hear we're, you. We're not on some radio right. show that does you've that, turned, right? No, you turned but to the Bible lady. Or what was I, that lady I, in the 80s, that Saturday Night Live? No, it's the, was well, I think it's the Bible. Bible I think so. Okay. So, But it's just an interesting thing at this point where we <laughs> haven't seen in the public domain such a clear... On the same single subject, church lady, a, not church Bible lady. lady. Yes, church, church lady. lady. Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt Dana, you, but it Dana was church Carvey. lady. Okay. Yes. So we haven't seen such a clear. Again, nobody's checking. I'm not asking people to check. Yeah. But we've had we've had a very specific directive from both churches now and the state on a on, on one vaccine. Church and state mating mm-hmm. on one, one issue. Vaccine. It and is Mara interesting. Is all in. But no, I. Uh, it's because churches want the they, ability to meet. I think. I think that's a big push from. Like when sure. I look at it, I think churches they can't be who they are unless you could publicly meet together. There's more of a legal crush or the fear or fear feel or. And you fear can't get tithing from people crush. when they're sitting at home. Uh, with that, <laughs> well, you can. With that. So <laughs> can I can I say that these these exemptions that the state passed were incredibly important because I do think you have to signal to because you're seeing this. I would argue you're seeing an encroachment from the executive branch, federally that you've not seen before. And, and the problem, and we've been living through this problem, it's been a, a, a creep, and now it's a sprint. You don't think the Patriot Act was an encroachment? No, no, in hindsight, I think it's an absolutely horrific one. I, I, you don't I think America it. has taken these steps before? No, I think None of this is new. I'm saying that it was a creep towards this. It's a, it's a sprint. Now, I think Obama didn't work with Congress a lot. I heard Harry Reid, when he was the majority leader in the Senate, complain that the, the Obama administration did not work well with Congress. So I, it's... But You've this seen is this from the executive branch. You know it's President Biden. I know, but I'm saying that these executive branch, I wouldn't, and I'm not, by the way, I'm being very fair here. I'm not saying it's just Democrat administrations. I'm saying Republican and Democrat administrations alike, if they can't get Congress to work with them or do what they want, they find these workarounds on the executive side. The reason why state lawmakers, state lawmakers are not better leaders per se than those in Congress, it's just that you have to balance a budget because you can't print money in a right. state. So it there's like a necessity to having to get legislative work accomplished and done. They have too many workarounds in our Congress, and there's too many workarounds with the executive branch and the legislative branch federally. And so when you now empower OSHA to start mandating businesses the way that the Biden administration would do, that is a that would be a legislative role if it were to ever happen, and it would be something that would need to be rolled out in legislation. He just wants to do it, so he finds a way well, to do it. Didn't our legislature just pass a mandate? We just mandated. No way. We just, we're protecting medical freedom and no, medical you mandated. privacy. They they no. made a non-exemptable yeah, no, no. law. Yeah, that people oh, have so wait, privacy. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's still it's, a, it's the same mechanism. No, it is. It's not mandating against mandates. I've heard this argument before. It's not. It's actually okay. preserving it's people's personal right towards their medical privacy and liberty that they don't have. They can't be compelled to liberty, do these things. Liberty, liberty, and freedom. I know right. these are foreign words. No, to you. I just On know left, that you're malarkey a little bit no. when you're protecting Mara. that liberty. Medical freedom and privacy are absolutely essential. They always have been. They've only been debatable as of late. You and I, uh, an employer both saying agree on you have to show privacy, but you're an employer talking about saying you have mandate. to show me a medical procedure having a been done entity. to keep 
Yeah, a private, private sector business. Private cannot violate HIPAA. Private entities cannot violate HIPAA. Right. I should not have but to HIPAA produce is medical defined. for medical procedures. I shouldn't have That's to do right. it. So I should be able to exempt from that from that effort or that action and that's what the legislature protected so mandates God are fine them. if they're on your that's ideological not a mandate. you terms. keep calling it a mandate it's not it's preserving well, medical is. privacy and freedom is it a mandate or is it just a message i don't know i guess it's, we'll it's, find out i'll tell you this it's a mandate that you get you get to continue your medical privacy and freedom that we've enjoyed up until now that's that's true but to that degree if you want to insert the word mandate you know, life, liberty, and, and pursuit of so happiness. So someone's at home. So Greg, They're so mandated. here's my question: If someone's at home right now, they have a reason, whether it's medical or philosophical, they don't want to get vaccinated. They know they have to go to work on January 4th after the holidays. Can they safely say after the legislature passed this, I can yes. go to work and be fine? Yep. Or do they have to worry about finding nope, another they job? They're fine. There is a stay currently on. Now I'll tell you, the only the only part that the legislature pulled back on are the federal contracts. If your employer receives Medicaid, Medicare yep. money, if it's, it's a federal contract. There is a more of a connection between the federal uh, decisions. They want you, they're the people that they send their federal money to, whatever mm -hmm. businesses those may be. There is a stronger connection with federal mandates with those that you, that are If you work for the federal, federal government, yeah. yeah. Or not even work for them, if you're a contractor with the federal government, you see that that might be the case. But if, you're, if that's the one that's a little sticky, we'd like the courts to sort out. But if it's not that relationship, the state of Utah has given you the ability yeah. to exempt out, which I applaud them for. And there are a lot of people with federal contracts. We were talking to some of the people who just, you know, dig sand off the edge of the mountain, and they have um, federal contracts, I guess, for roads or whatever else they're doing. So I think there's a lot more contractors out there than you realize. It's going to keep evolving, right? Yeah. I mean, we're going to keep talking about this. Well, there's a stay, and there's going to be hearing. I think that hearing yeah. is this week or it happened. I don't know when. But it, there's yeah. there's this isn't being unnoticed, and the courts are going to have to sift through this or sort through it, and we'll see what they say. All right. You're up first on this one, Greg Hughes. Uh, Dixie State uh, passed with the skin of somebody's hairy chin-chin. It seems to me uh, that early in the day we were hearing when the vote passed that the Senate wasn't going to have enough votes. Then they did, and it seems like keeping the campus called Dixie Campus for 20 years is what won over the votes. The actual university name, though, is changing to Utah Polytech. So kids can now have Utah Polytech on their resume, on their jerseys. And then if you just want to redneck it, you can say you're going to the Dixie <laughs> campus. Or think, what's happening here? I don't have a poly part. I think it's just Utah Tech now. But Utah Tech. Oh, excuse me. I forget that. When you say uh, by a slim margin, there's 23, there's 29 state senators. 23 True. And it was a 17 are, to 12 vote. Yeah. 23 of them are Republican. 12 Republican senators voted against changing the name. 11 Republican senators joined the Democrats. To create to have the 17 votes to pass it so you don't see a lot of times where and this is where the senate president was accurate in his discussion earlier mm -hmm. in the day i don't know where the votes are because you don't see a minority of a republican senate caucus teaming up with the democrats to pass a, a respective bill which is what happened in this case the sad part is uh the, the, the narrative of Dixie and the glass ceiling above these students' heads that they can't get a job anywhere is just patently false. They have a high placement rate of graduates. That school has seen incredible growth in student population. Uh, they grew in the COVID year when USU saw student enrollment decline. Uh, it's, it, it is just not the case. It, what happened is in 2020, People began to think words like Dixie and other other words were pejoratives, and that the, that we had to erase or cancel these these historic words because of fear of backlash. And 
wokeism, and so they bought into it. And I, I, I cannot handle hearing selective logic where they say this has nothing to do with cancel culture or being woke. But you know, Dixie used to be racist, and then they go on this whole narrative about the racist meaning of the word Dixie, which is in its definition the cancel culture you're buying into. The Dixie heritage of that state had nothing to do with racism. They were people from the South that were pioneers. They grew cotton down there. They, it was Utah's Dixie. And the saddest part is you get rid of that name and that, and that university, you still have a high school called Dixie High School. And if the idea is that they can't get jobs with a degree from Dixie, what about the kids that want to go to school out of state with their high school diploma from Dixie? What about the, the technical school, the trade school that's Dixie Tech? If, is that going to be have a chilling effect? What about the the, the 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 power company for heaven's sake? It's called Dixie Power. If you are offended by the word Dixie, you better blindfold yourself anytime you're off that campus because that word is literally everywhere because it's part of their culture. And the lastly, I'll just say this: the reason the recoil from the residents of Washington County has been so apparent and so emotional is that the idea that Dixie is racist, if they embrace Utah's Dixie, which again is everywhere, including on the mountainside. Um, they don't, they aren't racist and they are going to argue, I am not racist. And the word Dixie isn't racist because I feel a connection to Utah's Dixie and I'm not gonna let you demean that and, and call it racist. And so they have not had a branding problem. They've not had an enrollment problem. They have a high placement of, of students into careers. Uh, this is just this parachuted in in 2020 in a time where that we were trying to you saw statues being torn down and people trying to erase uh, anything that they thought could be racist and I think that this community it's it's sad that they have they were on the wrong side of a political movement of our day in deference to sort of the emotion that Greg is expressing well to this issue I am going to resist the urge to point by point refute because that's I think what's been happening for the last several months and I think what Greg expressed well is the emotion around it. And there is a lot of emotion, and, yeah. And how people feel blamed. Well, and how wants they, to be called a racist when they don't feel like they are. Sorry. Nobody does. And, and, and that's the hard part about these discussions is what you hear and what you know. I mean, I do think it's important from my point of view to point out that the question about the um, Confederate flag and rebel and Dixie has come up before 2020. And, and, and they self-corrected and got rid of it long ago. Well, the pronoun I'm not sure, but like so, so I think it's 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 unfair to say, gosh, we've never had the discussion of what these symbols in America mean before. Um, what Greg would call and loves to call the woke culture. So I think that's an unfair timeline. But I think what Greg expressed well is the emotion around it. And I think the emotion around it is what made this issue. I mean, we essentially had different conversations, be it the the Board of Education or be it the legislature, we've had these decisions made four different times in the last several months on this issue. Again, showing all the constituencies, showing all the passion. I think it's really important that um, we can move on. I don't say that lightly of those who had what, you know, their name changed, but I do think it's important and certainly from my point of view, it modernizes and it just takes care of um, liabilities. I, left out of the discussion, it makes it sound like we birthed this name, you know, when Brigham came across, and, and this institution has had eight name changes, and we've lived through a lot of name changes in other institutions, and we've changed all the other small colleges. So that is to say, if we can sort of move forward and regain those symbols of pride, but I think instead of refuting, I'm just going to acknowledge that the 
the energy that you brought to the discussion, Greg, is a lot of why this has been so hard is that people are feeling very personally attacked by this. I think it will be a good thing. I think at the end of the day it will it will provide more opportunities. Why keep a name where anyone may have a negative point of view, um, yeah, intended or unintended? But I'll, I'll say this too. I think unfair to the students, If, if and I heard this narrative, getting, getting away from the cancel culture or that Dixie's racist so we got to cancel yeah. that and forget about it. If you just talk about rebranding and wanting people to know you're from Utah and not particularly the South or if you want people to know what your school mission is, just because they put the word tech in that name okay, does not put them on par with Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Texas Tech. If you look at the size of those schools and the programs they offer, if you want the, for a parent whose child or even a student that wants to go to a school that would be the closest to a Virginia Tech or a Georgia Tech, it would be the University of Utah or Utah State University, these research institutions. Yeah. It would not be uh, Dixie State University because while they would like to be a, a stronger tech type school, they aren't even close yet. And, and so I think that I, I keep hearing that, well, we're rebranding because we're like Virginia Tech. <laughs> they're, they have an over billion dollar a year budget and the programs they offer, they're not even remotely close. So, you know, mission creep is kind of one of the, the it's part and parcel with higher ed. Everybody wants to be bigger and something that they're not right now. They want to be a bigger school and they want to call themselves something bigger than they are. I, I don't know that that name does accurately reflect the, the, that 12,000 student school. And I think that they could have done more to show that, that those programs or offer more of those programs before they would start calling themselves uh, Utah Tech and then saying their own name in the same breath well, they with have some a, of these tech a, schools like A long like runway Virginia for success, tech. Greg. I mean, you just... Like, They've well, got so, some, well, some well, the legislature in me is saying, well, there's a lot of fiscal notes they're going to be asking for to get those kinds of programs. There's some room for growth. Have. And the good news is if you're mad and you graduated from Dixie, you can still call it Dixie if you hated that that was the name. They you can change it on your thing. I still call the Delta Center, which is not the Delta yes. Center, the Delta Center. You know, you just stick with whatever you self-identify with. I know there was Vivint, it's Vivint, and then there was was Energy Solutions. solutions. Those were just two big names. For some reason, Delta Delta Center was just like. But you know, do y'all remember what Utah Valley University was first? It was was a community community college college first, right? right? Remember how long it was to change? I mean, they changed their name. Utah Valley never got out of it. They never took the Utah Valley. We're talking about remembering whether it's Vivint or Here's the other thing I reject. This whole, you know, we have to have Utah. I find Utah anything to be kind of generic, but. Weber State University outside of Utah, who in the world knows where Weber State is? Nobody. I mean, even this isn't a state institution of higher learning, but Brigham Young, that doesn't have the name Utah in it. Baylor doesn't have the name of Texas. But we know know who the Bears are, yeah. But did you know where Bears? I mean, Rutgers, I mean, some of these names of these schools, I mean, to say that you have to have the state that it's from in the name or else it's it's a problem, I, I don't buy into that narrative necessarily either. Yeah, it is true. They really should have just taken the Southern Utah University name before someone else took it, and they screwed up. <laughs> and, and they just upstairs. Hey, they I got to tell you this: the greatest comment on the Senate floor about this debate was the senator, Senator Hinkins. He is my hero. He got up and said, "Dixie, I thought it was a party school, and they named it after the red cups everybody was drinking at the parties at that school." Beautiful comment. I love that. That, that is kind of funny because Very growing funny. up, that's Dixie. sort of what my yes. my Dixie. apologies to anyone who graduated from Dixie, but. That was my thought growing up, too. So, anyhow, I didn't connect it to the party cups. I like that idea. Before we leave, uh, have any of you guys listened to Abby Huntsman's new podcast by any chance? I, I didn't. But it's I, it's yeah. interesting. So, I 
Um, you'll have to listen to it. We'll have to get it back and talk about it later. But she sat down and interviewed her dad, which I'm guessing wasn't a very hard get because when your dad says no, you're screwed. But I thought it was interesting because we haven't heard a ton from him since he lost the election. And I thought that he still sounded not very pleased. He called the election ridiculous. I think that I would agree. Greg would agree on that. I um, thought it was ridiculous. I didn't win. Of course, I think it's ridiculous. And I thought it was interesting that he was still a politician, saying that he had no plans of running, but the door is certainly open because you never know what happens. In yeah, life. I say so, that. Uh, you know what? I'm what do you foresee not, him I'm running not as? Anything out? Uh, yeah, the, the door's open. He's young, and his name ID is in Utah. He's always got to go at running if he wants it. It's true, and uh, I, I like think Joe the last Biden. two presidential elections have proved to us that you can be as old as you want if you want to sure. run. Thanks, Donald Trump yeah. and Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. I I, um, I I like John Huntsman Jr. I, I appreciate his family. I think they've done incredible things uh, for this state that most people will never even know the degree of which they've uh, just selfishly, I think, have given to this state. So I think they're leaders in our state, and I, I quite like John. I didn't like he ran against me. That was a bummer. I know that was but, rude, right? Yeah, I, I was really sad. Good news is, under your redistricting philosophy, you are the governor <laughs> of 11 counties. It is Thanks, true. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> yes, and you know yes. what? Congratulations. I, I want you, I'm glad you pointed that out because I do think of it that way. I think of Liberty Land. Utah has a Liberty Land. It's clearly the counties yeah. that voted for Okay. If I'm thoughtful right. enough for Christmas, I'm going to print you out a T-shirt with your 11 counties on it. It says governor. I think it's a good idea. Thank you. And you can make anything you want. It doesn't even have to have Utah in the name. I'm going with, yeah, I'm going with Liberty Land right now. That's what I'm going with. It's like Disneyland, except for everyone's happy when they stand in line. Great to be with you, Governor. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being with us and carving some time out of your very important day. We'll see you next week.